If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Very familiar passage. As a matter of fact, it is traditionally considered to be the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 this morning. As we enter into the Christmas season, I want to begin a very simple series of sermons for the Christmas season that I'm just simply going to entitle The Gift of Christmas because that's really what Christmas is all about, right? As a matter of fact, it's a gift. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable, and I love the old King James here, unspeakable gift. And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at and learning about God's great Christmas gift. And we're going to see that Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. That's this morning. We're going to see that Christmas is a gift worth giving. Christmas is a gift worth receiving. And Christmas is a gift worth sharing. And so now that you know where we're going, I want you to be here over the next four weeks as we look at and learn about the gift of Christmas. Luke chapter 2 this morning, as you're finding your way there, I, I remember when I was growing up in West Tennessee, uh, north of Jackson, there in a little town called Milan. One of these days, I'll tell you how we got our name. And then but before that even, back in East Tennessee, outside of Knoxville, there in Athens, Tennessee, before that, Kingston, all my families from Granger County were famous for tomatoes. And when I was a little boy, I don't know about if you were like this, but... I basically measured the year, where we were in the year, according to Christmas Day. We were either just coming out of Christmas, and we were five days past or ten days, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. And so we were either coming out of Christmas or we were counting down the days until Christmas. And so the whole year basically revolved around Christmas Day when I was a boy. And normally around the 1st of June, my mom would come to me and she would, she would ask me a question. She'd say, have you thought about what you want for Christmas? And I'd say, Christmas? I ain't gone to summer camp yet. I'm wearing shorts and T-shirts. It's 190 days until Christmas. Why are you asking Christmas questions right now? Why are you asking me about what I want for Christmas? Well, here's why. Because she needed to know what I wanted for Christmas so she could go down to Sears or JCPenney, get it, and put it on. Now, now young folks, put it on what we used to call Layaway. So if you're under 30, you probably don't even know what layaway is, but there was a day where you didn't go buy it and pay for it. There was a day when you went to go get it, you put it, and you'd pay for it before you could, before you could get it. And so my mom would say, what, what do you want for it? By the way, we ought to go back to those days. Can I get an amen on that? I have a whole lot less problems if we go back to those days. But anyway, so my mom would come and say, well, what do you want for Christmas? And I would tell her and and, and so one year, she came around again about the first part of June, and she said, have you thought about what you want for Christmas? And I said, yeah, I know exactly what I want. Because, you see, again, back in those days, we got these things called catalogs. <laughs> and Sears would put out earlier than this, at the end of the summer, they would put out this thing called the Wish Book, Right? And we would go through it as boys and girls, and we would, we would look through there, and we would pick out what we want, and you'd circle it, and you'd leave it around the house. And so I had gone through the wish book, and I had found a toy that I wanted. And so when my mom asked me, do you know what you want? I said, absolutely. And so I told her what I wanted. And you get down there oh, a week or so away from, from Christmas. Might be further than that. But Come home from school one day, and the tree's up, decorated. All the presents are wrapped up underneath the tree. Mom's still at work. So I went up to the tree. Y'all getting ahead of me. Stop it. Am I that well known, all right? 
So I went up and I got on my knees and I went through the presence there on the tree and I found one with my name on it about the right size or about the right shape, uh, weighed about what I thought the presence should weigh. When you shook it, that's what you do, right? You shake it. It sounded like what I thought the toy should sound like and I was so excited. I couldn't wait to open that present. So I didn't. So let me, let me just make this statement. If you're, a, if you're a young boy, a young girl here this morning, what I did was wrong. It was sin. I had to repent to Jesus, and later on, 30 years later, I told my mama what I'd done. So I waited till my mom and my dad were not there, and my brothers weren't around because they were tattletales, snitches. And I snuck in there to our our den and I found that present right size right shape sounded like it. and I took one of dad's straight razors and I sliced the tape carefully opened it up pulled it out opened it up and it wasn't what I wanted at all so disappointed, so upset. And now I've got a problem because now I've got to get this thing that I don't even like back in a package that I, and I wasn't nearly as careful. I ripped it and, and had to tape it up, stuck it back up underneath the tree, waited until Christmas morning till mama called me downstairs. I came downstairs and then I had to be excited about a present that I already knew that I didn't like. Problem. It's like the young boy I heard about by the name of Harold. You say, why Harold? Because most pastor stories are Jimmy and Johnny, so I thought I'd call him Harold. Uh, and so uh, there's this boy named Harold one day, and, and his grandmother's asking him to show. He's showing all his grandmother all the presents he got for Christmas. And his grandmother says, well, Harold, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? He said, no, ma'am, but that's okay. It was not my birthday anyway. But it is Jesus' birthday, right? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to look there in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to read here at the beginning of the Christmas season the first, the story, the real story, the first Christmas. And then let me show you why Christmas is a gift that's definitely worth waiting for. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, I want you to listen to this next verse. If this doesn't put you in the Christmas spirit, nothing will. Verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's Christmas. And whenever we use the word Christmas, you may or may not know this, but when you use the word Christmas, you're actually using a word that's made up of two ancient, old words, the, the word Christ and the word Mass. The word Mass literally means to, to come, to to arrive, to advent. And so when we say the word Christmas, we're really saying that Christ has come, Christ has arrived, Christ has shown up. 
The word Christ, that, that little title for the Lord Jesus, literally means the anointed one, the, the promised Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. And so when we say Christmas or Christ's Mass, we are saying that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the promised one of God has come. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about God's giving. Because contrary to what a lot of people say, and even some of my pastor buddies will preach, we don't give gifts at Christmas because the wise men gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we don't even give gifts at Christmas because the angels gave their praise or the shepherds gave their worship or Mary and Joseph gave love to that little baby Jesus. No, we give gifts at Christmas primarily because that's what God did. God gave. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. And so Christmas is about God giving to man. It's about God's giving. It's also about God's coming. And, and there are a lot of verses that I could share with you this morning. Let me give you my favorite uh, here this morning. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you drop down to verse 14, John tells us how he came. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we began, beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Christmas is about God becoming a man. He was fully man and fully God. 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. So much man as to not be God, so much God as to not be man. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that we who are sons of men might become the sons of God. That's what Christmas is all about. And one of the greatest Christmas verses that you'll ever read is found in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, where Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. God says, I have become like you so that you might come to know me. Christmas is about God's giving. Christmas is about God's coming. And Christmas is about God's timing. And this is where I want us to camp out here this morning. Paul said in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son. So John Maxwell, when he was pastor of the Skyline Methodist Church, I think out in, what, Los Angeles, California, John Maxwell said this. He said, Christmas is about God's sovereign timing in the lives of men. And Solomon tells us a little bit about time and timing. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to soap, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And then he says this in verse 11. And I want you to put this in the forefront of your mind, especially here at the beginning of the Christmas season. He says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. You know why I love the Christmas story so much? Because the Christmas story, perhaps better than any other story, teaches us and shows us, it demonstrates, it displays how God makes everything beautiful in His time. So with that in mind, I want you to look there in Luke chapter 2. Here's where we're going to be for the rest of the month. Luke chapter 2, let's talk about the timing of Christmas. And then let's think about why Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. If you're taking notes here this morning, here's the very first thing that I want you to write down. The problem of Christmas timing. The problem of Christmas timing. And of course, some of our students and maybe even some of our, our older folks might say, yeah, I can tell you the problem with Christmas timing is that it only comes around once a year, right? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if it came around every single month and all the parents are saying, no, broke enough already, right? Have you ever thought about the problem, though, of the timing of that first Christmas, especially from Mary and Joseph's viewpoint? Take, take Joseph, for example. He's called the forgotten man of the Bible. He's a strong, silent type. Matter of fact, you're not going to find any words in the Bible recorded of anything Joseph ever said. But can you imagine the problems that he faced that first Christmas? I'm going to give you several here this morning. Here's the big one. The first problem that, that Joseph faced that first Christmas was the fact that his fiancée just told him that she's pregnant, but not to worry, she's still a virgin because an angel told her that she's going to give birth to God's son. And, and, and I've thought about that over the years. I wonder how that went over. I wonder how Joseph took that. And I probably don't have to guess because Joseph was a carpenter. My grandfather was a carpenter. I guarantee you it went over like a screen door on a submarine, like a lead balloon. We don't have to wonder what his first response was. The Bible tells us he was going to put her away. Literally, he was going to divorce her. And, and I wonder how, how Mary broke the news to him. So I thought about this. So, so, here's the way it goes in my mind. Mary's talking with Joseph, and she says, you know, I've been thinking about the wedding, and I, I've been doing a, lot, doing a lot of planning. And I'm so excited. My, Rachel's going to get to come. My, 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 Rachel's going to come to my to the wedding, and I just heard that my cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, even at her age. Can you imagine that? And, uh, and oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, and I was just thinking the other day that should we serve beef or fish at the wedding? And Joseph says, what? What did you just say? She said, I, I, I wonder, should we serve beef or fish? He said, no, 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 before that, roll it back a little bit. She said, oh, an angel came to me, and an angel told me that, that, that I'm going to be, I'm going to have a baby. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to be God's son, and the, and the next thing that I know, poof, I, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, Joseph, I'm, I'm still a virgin. You know, we talk about the faith of Mary. Have you ever, guys, have you ever stopped to think about the faith of Joseph right at this point? Right? Big problem. Here's another one. He's been commanded to return to Bethlehem to, for the census. Historians tell us that Caesar spoke and the whole world moved and Everybody's returning to their hometown to register. Probably not on the wedding coordinator's calendar. Big problem. Also, even though Bethlehem is his hometown, it's not his home. He's probably been living and working in Nazareth for years and years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, right before the big day, he's supposed to drop everything, pack up, head out to Bethlehem with a pregnant woman who's due any day. Big, big problem. 
And then there's another one. that The, the, the only place that he can find to stay, it's a problem, is a stable. By, by the way, did you notice as we were reading there in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, I'd really never paid attention to this much before, but Luke does not say that all the hotels, all of the inns in Bethlehem had no vacancy signs in their windows. That is not what Luke says. What Luke says is that the only inn in town had no room, absolutely full, and the only place left to stay to get out of the weather, out of the elements in the entire town of Bethlehem was a stable out back of that inn. Big problem. That's Joseph. What about Mary? Well, to put it mildly and delicately, her marriage wasn't complete. Big problem. Also, she, she'd just ridden 80 miles on the back of a donkey in her third trimester. Do I need to demonstrate for that for you or anything now? I mean, have you ever noticed how hard it is for women who are really pregnant to get even in and out of a car? Josh is going to laugh out loud when I say this. My last church, we had a, a family there called the Dyers. About this time of the year, America, who ended up being one of our secretaries, America's from Aiken. And America is really pregnant. And I'm, I'm preaching along this passage. And I said, the Bible says that, that, that Mary was great with child, kind of like America is great with child. I mean, can you imagine being great with child? How, how hard it is getting out of a car? And now you've got to get on the back of a donkey and go 80 miles. I think all the ladies would agree with me this morning. Big problem. Here's another one. She's in a strange town with no family there to help her with the delivery of the baby. Big problem. She had a dirty stable for a delivery room with no waiting room either, guys. That's a problem. Remember the good old days when they had waiting rooms? Yeah, they don't have those anymore. And I want you to remember this morning that the stable that Luke talks about it's not like a state fair stable with clean straw and fresh water. No, the stable here in the Bible most likely is a shallow, cold cave with nothing more than old manure and rancid water and fermented straw about as bad as bad can get. Definitely not hygienic. Big problem. Here's what I want you to get this morning, if you don't get anything else. Our biggest problems are prime opportunities for God to show up and show off. And that's what he did here at Christmas. So there's the problem of Christmas timing. Number two, if you're taking notes still, and there's the perfection of Christmas timing. Think about it. It was prophetically perfect. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that had to do with the coming of the Messiah were focused like a laser beam on that nervous young couple in that stable out behind the only inn in Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us a lot about the coming Messiah, that he would be born of the seed of a woman. That's Genesis 3.15. That, that he would be born in Israelite. That's Genesis 12. That he would come from the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis 40. 
49, that he would be of the house of David, the family of David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 13, that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, that he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, and that he would be visited and honored by wise men, Isaiah 60, Psalm 72. It was prophetically perfect. Is also politically perfect because everything politically, historically, legally, scientifically, culturally, and even philosophically that was needed came into perfect alignment on that first Christmas night. I had the privilege this past Wednesday to be with a group of leaders, pastors from around the country, not just Baptists, but Simmons of God and everybody else. We were at the the Hyatt at the Orlando <clears throat> airport. We had some special guest speakers there that day to talk about how to save the West. And the first guy that got up was Os Guinness, one of the greatest thinkers of our generation, master historian. And he's talking about Rome and where, how we got to where we are and you think about everything on that night that God had put into place, that God had planned out, and how everything was right. You've got the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. You've got the Lex Romana, the Roman law. You've got the Rio Romana, the Roman road system. The Romans were the first ones to really connect all the empire with these paved roads. And you could get equipment and soldiers and things and goods from one part of the empire quickly to the other parts of the empire. Matter of fact, the roads that the Romans built thousands of years ago are still in existence today. A week or so ago, I saw a post where in Rome they found a, an ancient Roman road underneath and at McDonald's thousands of years old if you go there with me on the journeys of paul next year and i want you to go if you'll go there we will actually walk on roads that were around before even the time of christ it's amazing to me can i just stop right here for a second illiterate roman workers built roads that have lasted for thousands and thousands of years and university trained engineers can't create roads for us today that won't have potholes in like three months right and so you had the Pax Romana, the Lex Romana, the Rio Romana. And so what God did, God took a pagan government and used it to set everything up so that the good news of the Messiah could spread farther and faster than it could have ever done before. Politically perfect. It's personally perfect. I mean, just think of the difference it made in the lives of Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, and millions of people from that day until now. The story of Christmas is the story of how at just the perfect time, God sent His Son Jesus to be God in human flesh. He became like us so that we might become like Him. And I want you to think about that this morning, how exacting His plans, like I've shared with you this morning, and how exciting His promise and how empowering his presence, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You ever thought about the difference a baby makes? I know we sing the song. Bret Hart's short story called The Luck of Roaring Camp, if you've ever read it, 
Roaring Camp was supposed to be the meanest, roughest, toughest mining camp in all of the West. More murders, more robberies than all the other mining towns pretty much put together. Terrible place to live. Horrible place to live. Inhabited by only rough, tough, gruff miners, men, and one woman there to serve all of them. Her name was Cherokee Sal, and she died giving birth to a baby. And those miners, those men, took that baby, the story says, and they put that baby in a box with some just dirty rags up underneath it. And they sent back to look at it, and they went, that didn't look right. And so one of them traveled 80 miles, and they brought back a rosewood cradle. And they took that baby in those rags, and they put him in that rosewood cradle, and they stood back, and it still doesn't look right. And so they, they sent one of their one of their guys to Sacramento and the, the guy went to Sacramento and bought a bunch of baby blankets and brought them back and they wrapped that baby up in those baby blankets and they put him in that rosewood cradle and they, they stood back and it looks great. The cradle, the blankets, the baby, it looks great. And then they began to look around though and the floor is filthy and so these rough tough miners get down on their hands and knees, they get out the borax and the water and the, and the brushes and they scrub using their callous hard rough hands and they scrub that floor absolutely perfectly clean and they stand up and now the floor looks great but the walls and the windows are absolutely atrocious, filthy, dirty and there's no, there's no curtains on the windows and so now they, they wash the walls and they clean the windows and they, they put up curtains and everything's beginning to look like it ought to look but of course now they've got to give up their fighting because babies sleep a lot babies can't sleep when you're fighting and brawling all the time and so the whole temperature of roaring camp just seemed to go down if you read the short story you they used to take him they would set him out there by the entrance of the mine and so in his rosewood cradle and the men would come out and and greet him and say him and, but they looked around how dirty and nasty it was so they built a garden and they planted flowers <laughs> and they would put that baby out there in that that garden in that rosewood cradle every every day and they would come out of the out of the mine they would bring him shiny rocks and things that they would find in the mine and as they would take their hands they would hand that baby those shiny rocks and things they would they would notice how dirty and nasty and grimy their hands were uh, up against that 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 clean baby and before long, the general stores sold out of all the soap and the shaving supplies and the colognes and the smell goods. And there was a noticeable difference in the men of Roaring Camp. That baby changed everything. Christmas is a gift worth waiting for. But if you've never come to know Jesus Christ, you don't have to wait any longer. 2,000 years ago, at just the right time, in just the right place, at just, in just the right way, Jesus Christ the Son of God came into this world. Born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
But he didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be a man who lived an absolutely, perfectly pure, sinless life. And again, at just the right time, at just the right place, in just the right way, Jesus died on a tree for you. The first Christmas tree didn't look like this. The first Christmas tree was a cross where God gave the greatest gift ever given for you. So that if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never been saved. You've never given your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you would repent of your sin, to tell God that you're sorry for your sin, and to receive Jesus Christ into your heart and life. He would come in and he would do several things. Number one, he would forgive your sin. You would experience God's grace. And you would receive the gift of eternal life.